0: Welcome to Geek for Growth. This week, we're chatting with Oliver Jackson from Living Property. Now, Oliver's a buyer's agent, and we have a chat to him about the strategy that he's employing to get fairly instant equity in his investments over a short time frame in this market, we also talked to him about the renovation projects that he worked on before he started his business, the splitter blocks that he's doing with a business partner. We talked to him about buying old 60s and 70s strata titled blocks and undertaking major renovations as part of a syndicate, and just ways that investors are making money in the market that we're in at the moment. He gives us some great insights about how he got to where he is, the projects that he's worked. Working on and the equity that he's delivering for his investor clients at the moment. It's a great interview and here's Oliver. Oliver Jackson, thank you for joining me on Geared for Growth. Thanks, Mike. Thanks for having me. Great Pleasure to be here. It's an interview I've been looking forward to. Obviously, we've, we've thrown a bit of a preview out there on social media and we've, we've, we've created quite the stir. Oh, uh, big buzz going. Oh, big buzz. It's the, <laughs> the feel-good event of, of the summer. <laughs> um, I'm not even sure when this is going to come out, probably spring. But probably summer. <laughs> uh, yeah, I hope so. Um, now, Oliver, before we dive in too far, uh, tell the listeners that might not have heard of you who you are and what you specialize in. So I'm a buyer's agent. I live in Melbourne.
1: I run a business with my wife, Ali. Our business is called Living Property. Um, we really focus on a lot of trying to upskill people, so renovations, subdivisions, buying blocks of units, which I'm sure we'll get into later. Um, and we, we buy Australia-wide because uh, uh, yeah, we, we see the value in borderless investing.
0: Excellent, and we are going to dive uh, dive into that. Let's get a little bit more dirt on, on Oliver, though. What posters were on the bedroom wall as a youngster?
1: So it was a bit of a mix, actually. There was a lot of basketball posters, um, <laughs> swimsuit models. Right. And I was, oh, yeah. Exactly. Um, what else, basketball, girls, and a bit of Che and Chong, I think. Right. Wow.
0: <laughs> Not exactly like a great sort of bio for business development. <laughs> but that's all right, we appreciate the honesty.
1: I mean, I've got to be honest.
0: <laughs> Authentic, that's the word right. <laughs> totally. Talk to us about property. How did you get started in property and what was your first investment?
1: So I got started in my mid20s or late 20s. Um, I was in the construction industry and was kind of, I kind of I enjoyed getting on the tools because I came from hospitality. So once I started working out that, that I actually enjoyed the tools, I was like, oh, man, we should get into the property and start renovating. So we bought our first two-bedroom unit in Ormond in Victoria for 394000 We From after work seven days a week till midnight every night, we renovated. We gutted. We pulled out load-bearing walls. We actually made it it was it was a beautiful renovation. We thought we were going to live there for 10 years until we worked out we were having twins and uh, we were going to run out of room pretty quickly. Wow.
0: A two better with twins.
1: Yeah, we actually we started buying all the stuff for the kids before they were born and we actually ran out of room and we hadn't even had the kids yet. <laughs> <laughs> so we we thought we had to we had to upgrade. So we got it valued at 650 about 6 to 8 months later. So that was kind of when we got hit by the bug and we kind of haven't stopped since then.
0: Wow! Now, talk talk us through some of the the numbers on that one. So, h- how much? Obviously, you spent quite a lot of labour, right? Which a lot of people don't necessarily put a price on when they're looking at um, a renovation project. But you had the val at at six fifty. You paid three ninety four. It's two hundred fifty six, according to my Excel spreadsheet I've just opened. <laughs> uh, what sort of materials did you put in?
1: So, yeah, my labour. If I put that cost in there, it would have been a little bit because I, I pretty much did most of it myself. Um, even the plumbers and sparkies that I had come in, I um, would get them to tell me what they wanted me to do that took the time that I wasn't going to kill myself. So I, I could shave back a lot of those costs. Um, we spent a little bit more on that than if we were going to rent it out because we thought we were going to live there. So we got, you know, the extra added nice features. We pulled out three load-bearing walls, which cost a fortune to um, for the engineers and stuff. But I it, it really opened it up. It was mate, I've still got that property. I love it.
0: Well, you've done pretty well. I mean, there's there's quite there's quite some room for for some expenditure there. So um, yeah, 256k in in six to to eight minus expenses. What are we talking? A good sort of hundred grand uptick. I
1: probably spent I'd say 70 grand on the Renault. Um, we literally gutted it. It was an absolute piece of crap when we bought it. Um, and yeah, we gutted it. Stripped it, pulled the walls out. It was yeah. Bad. My wife's an interior designer it's on the interior designer side, so she made it made a very a very beautiful job of it.
0: Beautiful. Yeah, and even if you put, you know, 70 grand of labor, um, I'm quoting my Excel here again, there's still over 100K worth of work. So that, you obviously got bitten by the, the bug. Talk us through young Oliver. Um, obviously, we'll skip over the swimsuit stuff. But um, <laughs> h- how did you go in school and, and what were you sort of thinking you wanted to be when you, when you grew up? I guess that's probably a question we can ask you now as well.
1: So, to be honest, I was a, probably a DNF student. I I was good at maths. Um, I love photography, sport. Didn't really like getting told what to do much. But when I was like seven years old, I used to – I think I started being an entrepreneur about that age because I started – I was used to sell lollipops at school and if I used to, run out, used to run out, I used to sneak out at lunchtime and go and buy more so I could hustle more lollipops. So, I'd get my free lollies and make a little bit of money and – Kind of pretty much did stuff like that, buy and sell computers like Nintendo 64s and CDs and pretty much just spent my high school years starting little
0: businesses. And that, I mean, that, that's a pretty common story with people that end up um, running a business them, themselves. What about the construction? I mean, was that – you mentioned sort of hospitality. Was, was, was construction something that you were always looking towards? Was that the first real, real job? How, how did you sort of fall into that work?
1: No, so I did um, hospitality in my uh, you know, teen, late teens and early to mid-20s. You know, obviously you can travel, you can have fun. It's good for, yeah, it's it's a good lifestyle. You don't get paid very well in hospitality, which is a bit of a shame, but I liked the customer service side of things. I actually, um, I started a cafe bar with a friend of mine for a few years um, and then we were, I think we were three years into that and I got offered a job in construction and, to tell you the truth, the only reason I took it is because of the money is ridiculous in the construction industry in Melbourne. And I was getting towards the late twenties, and uh, I, yeah, I thought it was time to get a, a real job and stop piss farting around and start making some, some real money.
0: Let's talk about the cash. We're, we are talking some pretty serious stuff. Obviously, there's quite a construction boom. We're, we're talking sort of two or three hundred grand a year. So you got to the point where you're absolutely smashing it. What was it like working in construction on the big bucks?
1: Draining. And uh, a lot of work. Like, it, we, you do get paid a lot of money, but you one work. I was working probably six days a week, ten to twelve hours every day, two to three hours of travel every day. It's pretty relentless. You know, it's pretty dangerous. It's hard on the body. Um, I kind of got to the point where I didn't actually the money. The money doesn't make you happy if you haven't seen your kids because you're working so hard. And then when you get home, you're so tired, you're just staring at the wall because you're just exhausted. So I got yeah, you get to the point where the money money doesn't make it worth well not for me personally, didn't make it worthwhile anymore.
0: And how old were the were the twins at that stage when you were coming home and staring at the wall? From zero to two and a half. Yeah, right. <laughs> okay. Yeah you know the good times yeah yeah that's where you want to be the fun dad and all that sort of stuff rather than the sort of burnt out uh, you know alienated dad well exactly yeah. right so but that that salary was obviously a pretty good launching pad into property right do, do, you, do you think that sort of accelerated you to the point where you bought the the two better and started working on the Renault stuff how, how important was that to, as a launch pad for you So
1: the first probably three years, I didn't get paid that kind of money. Like you don't just go straight in and get two hundred and fifty grand a year. I started on you know still pretty good one to one fifty. I actually bought the first property with twenty thousand dollars. I think that's all we had, and I think I borrowed one hundred and five percent
0: plus the renovation costs. The good old days. Back when you could borrow what you wanted, pretty much. I'm pretty sure there was a royal commission about that. (laughs) Pretty sure. (laughs) I, I could have been one
1: of the reasons for it. <laughs> no, we, you know, you just play with the system, I guess, don't you? Um, so that was the good start. So, when I, when we realized we we're actually having the twins, that's when I started to get the better money so I could, we could buy a bigger house where we actually still live now. Um, so, definitely the big, the big money helped me buy our property, it cost us a fair bit of money. Uh, it's a 4,000 meter block in Frankston South. So, we've got, you know, there's, there's a lot of things we can do with this down the track when we're ready. Um so yeah, yeah, the construction definitely helped with the purchase of this one.
0: Now, what about sort of after the first one? So you you mentioned you you bought that with a plan to to be an owner-ock and then you obviously um, got into trouble with the, the twins coming along and all their accoutrement filling the place before they even arrived. Um, did, did you sort of look at the, the numbers and the work that you put in and, and then think, well, look, I, I've hit on something pretty good here. We're, we're going to do a bit of a rinse and repeat job and just chase these little Renault projects. Was that the strategy or did you go different directions?
1: So the strategy's always been buy, renovate, hold. Um, I personally will never sell a property I've bought. I, I don't see, I don't like giving the government any more money than I have to. And why would you do it when you can keep pulling out equity when the property goes up in value over the years? So we always hold. Um, my house I bought, we did some renovations on it. Value went up, pulled the money out of that, bought another property. So we're just pretty much just just repeating it, a bit, a bit of holding on to them along the way.
0: And generally doing a little bit of reno work every time. Yeah, so, so obviously with the construction background, I mean, if you couldn't do it yourself, you probably had mates that could or at least you could manage the the tradies and that sort of stuff. What what were you looking for in these places? Were there certain things that you thought, oh, look, we're not going to do bathrooms because they're too fiddly or we will do bathrooms because that's where a lot of the value uptick comes from? Talk us through the, the strategy.
1: So we try and buy... Pieces of crap that are a good building, like obviously good bones. Um, internal, it doesn't really phases. us. It's more about the layout because obviously the first one we had to knock down the walls. It's not ideal. It is expensive. Um, so if you prefer not to do that, structural works, you know, is, is painful. Um, and buying it like with a bathroom and kitchen where you don't really have to move, if you start moving toilets around, showers around, that's when it starts to cost you a lot of money because – if, especially if it's concrete, like we, we like to buy 60s, 70s, 80s buildings that where all the floors are concrete so you don't have to dig up concrete. It costs a fortune. So if the layout is already really good and you can just pull everything out and just put new stuff in, that's the most ideal way to do it.
0: Where do you see people getting it wrong? Like Flipping has, has been something that's been around for a long time or even if you're doing a, a, a buy and hold, people are often sort of over-capitalising or getting into trouble with Renaults where really once they factor in the time they're spending on it, they're not really getting that far ahead. Where, where do you think people are really biffing it?
1: I think people try and put their own personal stamp on it too much. Um, they don't keep it simple. So you just it doesn't have to be over the top it's just got to be clean, simple, white, grey, simple colors, don't go too fancy. Flipping is uh it doesn't really work that well anymore unless you're buying a house where you can cut the back of the, the block off and subdivide a little bit of it and then renovate the house, like an actual buy an apartment, renovate and sell, pretty hard to make good money these days. in in melbourne definitely yeah
0: and and how has it been for you is uh, there ones that were a bit more sort of troublesome for you that where you've you know it hasn't gone exactly to plan or has it all been a pretty smooth sailing for this sort of reno strategy
1: (laughs) pretty much always has problems Um, (laughs) it's pretty hard to renovate a 1970s buildings and not find problems it's just how you deal with them i guess and if you don't know what you're doing, get a professional because if you do try and do it and then they have to come and fix what you've done, it costs you twice as much. Plus you've wasted your time and your money already doing it. So I I like to personally gut everything, get all the trades in that I'm going to need and see what I can do to make it cheaper and help them. Um, I was I, I don't I don't renov when, <clears throat> when we renovate for clients, I don't do any renovation works. I just project manage it. But my, I still like to do my own personal ones because I actually enjoy it. I still like getting on the tools.
0: So when you sort of talk about getting the tradies in, is that something that you do regularly from the beginning? Like you sort of get them in and say, look, I'm going to rip all this out. You know, can you give me some tips on what I can do to to set it up so it's easy for you? Is it better to, you know, rip the whole kitchen out or would you rather sort of do that while you're there? Do they sort of participate in in helping you sort of strategize or, or help you sort of cut the costs?
1: Pretty much, all if you get, let's say you get a plumber in, he'll just tell you don't move anything, and it's not going to cost you much as much. <laughs> like that, they're, yeah. They're not uh, – we like to do all the strategy ourselves. Um, if you get a, you can get a good chippy in who's going to help you. Then you know they have some idea, but most of the time I just get them in for for pricing. If you if you can pull everything out, it's easier for them to to cost it because I can see what's going on underneath. But if you could get a kitchen, you might not have to rip the whole thing out. You might just have to change the cupboards. Or obviously, it depends case by case basis on what you buy. But everything we buy is, seems to be cr- crap because you get it cheaper because people freak out when they walk in there. But if it's the right place and it's got good bones, yeah, there's no
0: reason why. So, yeah, I guess if you're going in there and you, you're, you're looking at this open for inspection and there's a lot of people gasping, you're sort of rubbing your hands together to say, ah, good, we'll get this under market because people are terrified.
1: <laughs> 100%. <definitely.
0: laughs> so, like, like a lot of businesses, you, you, you've obviously started a, a, a buyer's agency business on the back of some friends sort of saying, oh, Oliver, I see that you're, uh, you're sort of making money and I'll have a bit of what you're having. Is, is that sort of really what, what sort of kicked you off in your business?
1: 100%. It was just an organic process. We, uh, we were doing our own exactly that. Friends were like, how are you doing this? How do you keep buying properties? Um, how do you keep going on holidays? <laughs> all this stuff. So we started just, uh, we helped a few friends to purchase property, to renovate, um, and then it kind of got to a point where it was like, well, I'm doing all this work helping people and I'm not getting paid. This this sounds like an amazing business idea. Which is when I met um, Ben Handler, who yeah, really helped me start the business.
0: Yeah, and and I guess I mean you you're probably at the point where you're you know running successful projects for yourself. There's there's obviously more to it than wanting to sort of charge some some mates of yours that keep picking up the phone. What what made you want to sort of really push and and focus a lot on the business?
1: I really actually enjoyed like buying property, like searching for real estate. Talking to real estate, I had a lot of friends in the real estate industry that I'd met over the years. Um, a good friend of mine, Frank, he's a buyer's agent, he, he taught me a heap about the buyer's agency space. I was kind of like a mentor, just like Ben. Um, and, I, and I wanted a way to get out of construction, and I really, really enjoy real estate, and I really enjoy renovating. So it just kind of made sense. I couldn't really see myself doing anything else, and I was sick of being dirty all day. Just like a tradie yeah you're right
0: now you're a now you're a pretty so, boy you're a self self-titled pretty boy buyer's agent <laughs> that's me we, we happy with that description <laughs> yeah. I mean you, you've got a mirror right <laughs> <laughs> yeah no i shouldn't be mean to guess um you're you're a handsome guy in your own special way um what about um what what about the business and your own portfolio obviously you know you're you're pretty busy looking after people you're doing your own projects i mean you've got twins that are as far as i understand speaking to you in a language that you don't understand there there's a lot of uh there's a lot of demands on your time what's winning at the moment kids come first um, obviously
1: the business needs to feed the kids
0: so that's pretty pretty
1: important to feed the children
0: how's your Espanol
1: um, Spanish is getting better we watch everything on TV watches in Spanish so when you're watching Peppa Pig in Spanish you actually learn quite a lot
0: what is pig in Spanish I uh, can't remember. i put you on the spot too. That's terrible. Middle stump. Anyway, that's some homework for you. I've I've interrupted. So obviously, you know, food on the table and, and looking after the twins. What about the, sort of the, your own portfolio and the business?
1: So, yeah, I'm just really work, focusing on the business at the moment. I've got a few JV partners that I'm doing stuff with in various states. Um, one of them is a bit top secret at the moment, but... The other one I've teamed up with another buyer's agent called Luke Bailey and we're doing a bunch of stuff in Adelaide for clients um, just looking for things to really add value for people because buying just a normal unit or a house is kind of you know give a slow burn at the moment obviously because the market's not ideal. So we're just looking for, for different ways for, for people to make money.
0: And we've had we've had Luke uh, as a guest on the on the podcast before. Uh, I understand a, a little bit about what you guys are about, but there's uh, when you talk about sort of adding value. I know you, you've you've got some sort of you know targets where you're looking at properties where you can subdivide the block. Can you tell us a little bit about the strategy and some of the stuff that you're you're doing?
1: Yeah, so we, in Adelaide, Luke's Luke's a you know Luke's a bit of a genius with that kind of stuff. So it kind of made sense to team up together. Um, So yeah, we're buying blocks of land, subdividing them, either keeping the original house and renovating it, and then cutting the back off into a few different blocks um, to house and land package people. We sell it to a developer. Um, And I'm also buying blocks of units up in, at the moment in Brisbane, but we're looking to go Australia wide with that. Just, you know, you get a massive discount when you buy a, a block of units, around about six to 10 units per block, usually hopefully 1970s we're looking for. So I've looked at about 15 blocks actually last week. So we'll buy the block with a syndicate of people and we'll renovate the inside and outside of the block and either the, the clients can hold on to them or they can sell them, that's that's up to them.
0: This is a really interesting one and um, just as a side note too, Luke Bailey's episode 56, check that out. Look at this promotion. This, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm starting to get professional. This is, An absolute legend, it's, Luke. It's, it's terrifying. Yeah, check check him out. Um, we, we You and I did a quick sort of LinkedIn video a little while ago, you know, drumming up a bit of interest, obviously me forgetting the name of your business and screwing it up and giving you a nice blooper reel that's done really well on LinkedIn. Um, <laughs> we, we were talking about this 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 strategy of, of buying up apartment blocks. And from, from my understanding, uh, there, there's an issue where let's say you buy something that's got great bones. It's pretty ugly from the outside. We're talking 1960s or 70s. There might be eight in the block or something like that. Um, you get in there, you can renovate the inside, but you can't really do much to the outside because of the owner's corporation and needing everyone to be on board. Often they there's a little old lady that sort of says, you know, I, I don't really like change or um, <laughs> yep. doesn't want to spend the money on, on doing some work outside. But if you're pulling together a syndicate of people and buying the whole block, then you're sort of exercising a bit of control about the outcome and, and doing a lot of external work. Have I, have I got this roughly right? Exactly right. So we're most of the blocks we're buying are we're
1: buying them off one owner. So a lot of, especially in Brisbane, I'm finding a lot of the blocks that were built in, say, the 70s, were mainly built by Italians and they're at the age now where they just want to cash in on on all their blocks. So it's a lot easier, obviously, to buy a block off one person than, say, six. So we buy the block, we get them strata titled if they're not already strata titled, which automatically adds value to the block. And then we literally gut every unit and then the outside we might render it, we might paint it, We put courtyards in. We redo the garage, like literally make over the whole building. So the value is really uplifting in the whole building, not just the internal.
0: So when you get people on board, you're basically sort of saying, okay, here's the deal. You need to spend this much on the unit and you must commit X amount of dollars for your share of the common stuff. Is that sort of like a condition of of onboarding people for this sort of play?
1: 100%, yeah. So we'll have a meeting and we'll... we're obviously getting the block, uh, the apartment under, under value because we're buying the whole lot. And then we'll say we'll, we cost the whole thing before we even buy it and work out how much we need to spend. I, I had a team, my whole team of renovation team in Brisbane last week go through the block. So we already got everything priced before we've even decided to buy it. So we know internal, external, how much it's going to cost. So if your unit's 300000 plus you need to put in 30000 for the internal and 15000 for the external, but the value is going to be the unit's anywhere worth 600 grand.
0: That's an easy one. These, these, these Italians, um, obviously they've, they've, they've made money, but it seems crazy that they would sell something uh, that wasn't strata titled and sell it individually. I mean, what sort of saving are you getting buying a block rather than if you were buying the units individually?
1: So if they're unrenovated, you'd be looking a minimum of 20% you don't want to go any lower than that 20 to 30 percent um and then obviously once you've renovated them the um yeah the uplifts massive because they're the, the if you're in an area where there's a block with 50 units in it and you've got a block of six and it's the same size block of land the apartments are massive you got backyard it's like it's yeah it's like they're like mini houses so once they're renovated it's very easy to sell and i guess the older italian guys they don't want to have to worry about selling to 15 different people. They'd rather just sell to one person as is. They paid 50 or 60 thousand to build it in the 70s, and now they're getting two million dollars. You're right. It's the, a, the one guy it's I'm, I'm looking at one at the moment. He's got two next door to each other, so we might buy both of them. So, thank four million bucks. See you later. He's, he's pretty happy for the next 15 years of his
0: life he could make that work I'm sure <laughs> I'm pretty sure he could what um what is what is the cost to sort of come in and, and let's just say you're buying a block and and strata titling it because I mean I, I know there are people that would just buy a block strata title and sell them individually and you can make money doing it that way let's say that you're somehow allergic to the renovation and the upside of it
1: you can definitely do that um, obviously not as much in it Um, personally i don't see what the point is in not doing the renovation you don't have to do it yourself you can get a project management team the project manager charge you probably 15 percent on top of on top of the build costs so you know for that price and it probably only cost you 25 to thirty thousand to renovate the internal of an apartment you'd be crazy not to do it you don't have to do the external because that is that's where the money is like to render a building costs a lot of money so so even if you just do the internal and just clean up the gardens and Make sure the balustrades aren't rusty and stuff like that is really all you need to do. I wouldn't see the point in doing it and just strata titling and selling it.
0: What are you looking for in these types of, of developments? Is there something that just sort of fits right into the sweet spot?
1: Yes, definitely. Brick buildings are ideal. Um, just if the building's falling apart, you don't have to deal with it. You, you still want, no matter what, you still want it to have good bones because you don't want to come into dramas later. You don't have to underpin it because, you know, that can cost you a fortune. New roofs can cost, a, you know, a fair bit. Um, one of them, we're actually thinking about putting a rooftop on it, so it's structurally sounded to, to be able to do that. So just little extra things that you can do. If you can do courtyards, like turn downstairs into separate courtyards, like anything that you can add value to, as long as the building's not falling apart, it's, yeah, it's ideal. You can just you, you just get a feel of it's in a nice street, um it's you know there's a lot of public housing in brisbane so we've we've turned away a lot of the blocks um obviously the guy i work with does a lot of due diligence on these things he's, he's the master at it so uh yeah a lot of due diligence goes into it. we don't just go find a block and buy it
0: so obviously you've got a, a few different ways of adding value you sort of mentioned you know in this market there are a lot of areas of the country that uh, are doing nothing um obviously it's pretty flat we've probably just bounced off the Bottom of the market, sort of talking nationally. Uh, are these sorts of you know instant equity sort of deals, or at least you know short term equity deals like the subdividing and the and the works that you're doing with the unit? Are these just a result of you trying to get that growth in this particular market, or would you be doing that at any stage of the cycle? Any
1: stage of the cycle, you just uh, change to different markets where where it's going to work. Like the ones we're doing at Adelaide, Adelaide's a great place to do this at the moment. Um Brisbane is is in, a, in the right – it's at the bottom, you know, it's at the right place at the right time. It's meant to be – everyone's talking about Brisbane going up. But if you can get something well under market value that can be renovated and you can get an uplift now, you know, why not take it and then hold on to it until – if. You, possibly you know hold on to it for as long as possible
0: there seems to be i mean I'm, i've just uh, as i was checking to see which uh, episode number luke bailey was on i'm having a look at the gear for growth website here and just looking at the faces and there, there's 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 a real sort of obvious split between your sort of set and forget blue chip people that that do the sort of slow burn as you say and obviously try and find areas that outperform the most markets in general and then there's people such as yourself that are more about um you know that instant or, or or trying to get that short-term sort of growth uh, have you always sort of sit there is that just sort of some of your you know borderline millennial patience you're probably you're probably a bit <laughs> too old to be a millennial but is is it is it just just this sort of impatience for the growth or do you think it's a it's a bona fide better strategy than just sitting on something and waiting for it to grow over over your sort of working life
1: i find if you can buy something renovate it and get some uplift you get some equity in it you can get higher rental yields, and then you can get the slow burn growth over time. Why wouldn't you do all of them at once? It doesn't make sense to me why you just hold onto something when you could get another fifty or hundred dollars a week rent because you renovated it, and then, and then you're going to get you can pull the equity out in time anyway. So it doesn't make sense to me why you wouldn't.
0: So would you say that you're investing in areas like these? These people that do sort of go after the you know just the the capital growth sort of strategy are they uh, typically you you transacting in similar areas or are you looking for things that maybe are more high yielding Where, where do you where do you sort of see yourself sitting on on that spectrum
1: i personally like to go blue chip areas um depending on the strategy of the client though some clients want higher yield and they want to buy a house and they want to buy it somewhere then it really is case by case. Me personally, most of my properties are in blue-chip areas. Uh, the land subdivisions in Perth is in blue-chip areas because the land's got higher value. And that's a quicker, you know, six- to eight-month turnaround. So we buy a block, subdivide it, sell it off. That's that's a six- to eight-month thing so that we don't hold on to any of those. We sell them straight to a developer. It's, you know, that's a quick cash burn so you can make cash. But personally, buying and holding, you know, I personally like better suburbs, blue-chip suburbs.
0: Just on that, I guess given the the lending environment that we're probably just coming out of, but it's been pretty difficult for investors to get finance, I've seen, I guess what I would assume is the average sort of transaction value decrease because people's borrowing power is a little bit less. And the arguments on social media about the types of property you would buy seem to be sort of the, the cash flow guys seem to be winning, right? Their pitch is out there, it's loud, and, you know, there seems to be a lot of people attracted into getting into these lower price point, high yielding things. You know, you mentioned you're transacting a bit in Brisbane, but perhaps maybe a little bit more um, blue chip than, than some of these these cheaper properties. What, what, what do you sort of see going on in the marketplace at the moment? And, and do you think that there is good opportunity on these lower price point sort of high yielding things? Or do you think that there are, you know, pr- perhaps... Some some things that are getting in the way of, of solid long term capital growth.
1: I just find the lower end, higher yielding areas. There's a lot of higher vacancy rates, which you know, if you're not haven't got anyone renting it, who cares how much yield you're getting? <laughs> yes, <laughs> you know what I mean. And if you've always got to deal with a problem tenant or you know damages, it's you know it's stressful. Um, but if if a client has a bunch of blue-chip sub- uh, sub- uh, properties, then they might want a high-yielding, so you chuck one in there. But if someone's solely dedicated to getting higher yield, then I think personally it's going to be a headache for them down the track.
0: Now, with your business, which I'm definitely not going to forget the name this time <laughs> because I've got it written down in front of me, living property, <laughs> Um what sort of person's coming to you at the moment? I, I'm interested in, to, in what sort of inquiry you're getting. I assume that it's driven by the the, the the media messages that you put out there. Obviously, you're doing podcasts like this and people are thinking, oh, subdivide block or these unit things sound interesting. Are people coming to you for these strategies or do you still get investors sort of saying, look, I just sort of, you know, I like your um, your pretty boy style. Um, <laughs> I, I, I don't know what I'm doing, but I know I should probably get an investment property, you know, what what should we talk about?
1: Yeah, I think it's pretty much because of the pretty. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> no. Um, we thought as few, much. <laughs> I've got a few a few different clients actually. So a lot of people like the syndicate idea of you know they want to make cash. So we go the subdividing route. A lot of people like the idea of the blocks. So, um, you know, it's, it's a, I mean, personally for me, I think it's the best way to make money at the moment. And you get to hold on to an asset forever with, you know, six people. It's, it's a great way to do it. And then through – I get a lot of clients through social media. Um, and some people would still just like to buy a unit or a house and hold on to it. Um, I do do a lot of principal place of residence in Melbourne. Um, a lot of people are moving into areas like the Clifton Hills, the Northcats, the southeastern suburbs because prices have gone down quite a lot in those areas. And yep. it, although now it's starting to get a little bit busy. Um, So I still do a lot of of the principal place of residence of a lot of families, to tell you the truth. I think um, first home buyers have kind of disappeared a little bit. They went a bit crazy for about six months there. Um, But young families are really getting into the market because interest rates are so low. Borrowing power is a lot better now. I actually had a meeting with um, someone really high up at ANZ yesterday and they've Made it a lot easier to get money now, They're, especially to investors. that She got really excited. She's getting really excited. <laughs> Their investor market's about to go crazy.
0: That's good news.
1: Yeah, well, considering they were, they were so strict for a while there, they've really, really taken off the handbrake.
0: And and in general, so yeah, obviously you've got a pretty broad service offering that that perhaps isn't um, necessarily all across your your marketing. But for, for people that that are looking at their first investment or they've got a couple and they are just sort of trying to grow the portfolio, um, we, we've talked about you know some of your value add opportunities. But can you give us some tips about what investors should be looking towards or looking out for in terms of of areas, property types, strategies? Where, where's the low hanging fruit for someone that's wanting to sort of grow their, um, the grow, grow their their portfolio?
1: It really depends on them, how much money they can get. If if you're looking at someone that's only got three or four hundred thousand, I mean, you can still do regional Victoria, like the Bendigos, Ballarat's a bit, I think, overcooked at the moment. But you know, you can still buy a house in Bendigo for three fifty. You can do a bit of a subdivision, like cut the back off and sell that, renovate the house, you know. That's going to give you some good value. There's some great blue chip areas in Bendigo. Um, Same with Adelaide and Brisbane. There's good areas there where you can still get in at a good price. So you don't, you know, you don't need millions of dollars to be a property investor. It's crazy. For three, four hundred grand, you don't have to go into a terrible area to do it. There's still good blue chip areas in in every city or every state in Australia, except the Northern Territory.
0: I mean, that, yeah. Well, I mean that, that, is, that is good to know that, you, that, that there is still good buying and, and, and good strategies that we can employ at that price point. But I take it by that logic, you're sort of thinking, look, the more money you have, the, the easier it is to, to grow it. So if you've got, you know, six or seven hundred thousand dollars to invest, that just opens up some, some strategies that are going to give you a little bit more of an instant kick.
1: Yeah, well then you can do the you can do a bigger land subdivision and hold on to the house and do a three sub subdivision instead of the one. Like, or you can if you have seven eight hundred grand, you can do two properties in different states so you're minimizing your risk. Like you don't have to buy in your own backyard. A lot of people I think get a little obsessed. They live in Melbourne, they want to buy in Melbourne. It's like, what, Why? <laughs> like there's so many markets in Australia. Get educate yourself or get a buyer's agent and spread your risk.
0: Is that something that's pretty typical when people come to you I'm 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 wondering how much they have a bit of a plan in their head when they sort of in, engage you or they have their first chat with you do, do a lot of people come to you with the idea that they want to buy something and it just how it sort of happens to be three streets down because they know the local coffee's pretty good and the schools you know are, are, are pretty handy
1: very 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 often a lot of people have say oh you know I want to be able to drive past it Oh, I want to. I know this area. It's like, well, that knowing you can drive past it, or you know this area, is costing you hundreds of thousands of dollars in the long run. Like, but people like to know. They think because where they live is the best place, so that's why that's why they should buy or something. It is. It happens very, very often.
0: Now, talk us talk us through some 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 macro stuff. Now, I know that you're not uh, an uh, an economist, but you've obviously obviously got friends in high places at the ANZ. What's what's your crystal ball telling you about investors and the market uh, and and what's going to happen with lending? And obviously we've got a pretty tight supply of listings at the moment. So we're getting great auction clearance rates, but the spring selling season is, is coming along and that's Possibly going to maybe dampen the demand. Where, where do you see where do you see things going in the next little while? Well,
1: lending is getting easier, um, which is great. Um, people are getting more excited. There's a heap more investors getting into the market. There isn't, you know, a massive supply of property. That's why we like to be borderless. So, if you've got such a bigger market, if you can buy it all around Australia. Um, I, I mean, to tell you the truth. If you're buying the right property in the right area, and you're getting it under market value, and you want to hold on to it, and you're happy to do a renovation, it doesn't really phase me too much about what's going on. Um, if you can get money and you can do it, it's always a good time. As long as you're, you're getting under market value, you can you budget your renovation properly, and if you want to, if you're keen to hold on to it. Like, I don't understand. People flip properties for thirty, forty thousand dollars 40000 That's insane to me.
0: Yeah, the cost of getting in and out sort of really erodes things pretty quick. And the stress of
1: going through it. It's, it's a stressful thing to renovate a property. Why would, you, why would you do it for a minimal amount of money?
0: For the people that, that have listened to you today, Oliver, and they think, look, this guy's on some stuff, but um, I don't want to give him any cash. I want to do it all myself. Um, obviously, DIY strategies, um, for, for renovations can you sort of can we recap a little bit and just sort of say okay look this is these are the, the the sweet properties to look for here's how to sort of roughly budget and here's how to make sure that we're you know we might be spending a dollar and getting two dollars back i mean do you do you sort of run a metric like that and, and what can you do to sort of help us to run these sorts of projects ourselves
1: definitely putting a dollar and getting two dollars back is a good way to go um so when you're budgeting kitchen, bathroom, don't – there's nothing wrong with an IKEA kitchen if you're just going to rent it out. Um, there's, there's obviously a lot of other people that can do them, but if, if you've never done it before, IKEA have this, the computer system where you can design You can design it off, you know, you just go in there, design it, give them the measurements, and it's all done for you. You know, IKEA is IKEA. But for a DIY first time, it's a good place to start. Um, get good trades, get three quotes for everything um, get a project manager if you've got no idea because it will save your fortune in the long run because they might have ideas of better ways to do things. Um, if you don't, if you're scared to renovate, maybe just paint, <laughs> just to paint, change the change the carpets. Like you don't have to go crazy, um, but yeah, definitely, definitely budget. And if, you, if you're if kind of worried, I'd definitely get a project manager on, on that front. And if looking for properties, I, I personally like the 60s and 70s Uh, buildings if you can't afford a house buy a unit small block check um, the strata titling just do your due diligence buy and and always get a building and pest inspection like super important
0: good advice there what about you mentioned borderless investing it How, are there problems with doing the borderless stuff and managing a renovation? I'm guessing that people that want to employ a renovation strategy, they find it much more comfortable for it to be driving distance because you can check on things and you can let trades in and that sort of stuff. Do you do a a bit of uh, renovation stuff, you know, remote from your location or areas that you know you're not going to be able to get to?
1: Yeah, 100%. So the blocks of units in Brisbane, I've actually got, a project manager that I actually work with, and I pay her. I project manage her, and she project manages the, the sites. So she she gets all the builders. She knows she's from the local area, so she knows she'll get quotes from three or four builders for the whole job. She project manages it. She reports to me, so I don't have to be in you know in Brisbane for a month or two or three while it's while it's getting done. Um, it's yeah, if you're borderless definitely, definitely get a project manager. Do your due diligence on them as well. Make sure these reputable builders find out who they've worked with before, what buildings they've done. Um, They're worth their weight in gold.
0: If we're just doing sort of, you know, you talk about internal renos, you know, 20, 30, 40 grand. Is that big enough to to justify a project manager? I mean, are they going to take this on for, you know, for three or four grand? Yes, 100%. There's an easy answer to that question. (laughs) Yes,
1: of course they will because, you know, if they've got five or ten of those going at once, then that's still good money. They
0: can make it work.
1: Yes, 100%. Yeah, definitely.
0: So we've we've shared a lot of stuff today, Oliver, and I know that you're generous with your time. You're happy to have a chat. You've got some great sort of content out there for people to look at. But if people want to get in touch with you, um, what's the best way to do that?
1: Livingproperty.com.au, Oliver Jackson, buyer's agent on Instagram, and Oliver Jackson on Facebook and LinkedIn, I put out content every single day, sometimes twice a day, seven days a week, yeah. um, lots of uh, good educational content. I never try and sell anything to anyone, so you don't have to worry about that. <laughs> good. <laughs> um, and, yeah, that's about it.
0: Beautiful. And, uh, look, it's, it's been a pleasure, and this one might be a little bit tricky for you, but if, if you could impart one piece of advice to property investors what would it be? Well, one piece of advice,
1: get involved, get amongst it. See how I might go, get a, first thing, get a very good mortgage broker. If you need a good mortgage broker, contact me, I can put you in touch with a few. Uh, obviously, not, you know, finding how much money you've got is number one. Um, speak to professionals wherever you can, ring real estate agents, ring buyers agents, do your due diligence on every single aspect, and um, don't wait, don't listen to them. I don't actually personally watch the news, because it's a bunch of crap. So don't listen to the media hype. Just buy buy correctly and get involved because yeah, waiting is the craziest
0: thing you can do. Get involved, Oliver Jackson. We'll put that in quote cards. I think that's that's good advice, <laughs> From the mate. Pretty boy. Do something. Hit the pretty boy. It's uh, it's been good to have you. Uh, next time we'll have to make it a video because the pretty boy stuff is lost on uh, on podcast. But uh, thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me, Mike. Cheers.